New Testament book of Acts. We're studying verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 24 and read into chapter 23, verse 10. The topic, Paul plays his cards right and thereby avoids two hostile interrogations. The title of our message, Playing the Grace Card. I'm just going to wait until... No. All right. Thank you. All right. Verse 24. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard it, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. Commander answered, with a large sum I obtained citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God." Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Let's pray together. Father, we probably don't understand how blessed we are to be here today, to have your word open before us, to be able to read it and contemplate it, to hear it taught in the freedom, Lord, which we enjoy. And so we want to thank you for that first and foremost. We want to be grateful. And then we want to open up our hearts, Lord, and remember that you're here to speak to us personally and individually. Yes, as a church and generally in terms of knowledge and gaining insight into your word, but you really want to speak to each and every one of us personally. You want to have a personal conversation with each of us. You want to tell us things about your love for us, about your grace towards us, about your mercy, so that we would be more deeply in love with you than we've ever been before, and that motivated by that love, we would share with others just by the countenance of our life and then by the words that we speak, 
that there is a God and his name is Jesus Christ, that he's risen from the dead and he's coming again. And though his coming will mean judgment and terror to many, it need not because he's coming as a bridegroom for his bride. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do all of that and more, more than we would even think to ask. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There seems to be a lot of card playing in politics these days. Candidates are described as playing the race card or playing the gender card or playing the terror card. It means that a candidate appeals to one of those issues in order to trump his or her opponent in an area where they hold the advantage. We see something similar but far more godly in our text. When he was about to be interrogated by Roman officials, Paul played the good citizenship card. When he was about to be interrogated by Jewish officials, he played the good conscience before God card. Good citizenship before men and a good conscience before God are the byproduct of walking in the grace of God. In each case, Paul was playing a grace card that was suited to his particular situation. So can you and I as we walk in the grace of God. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, keep the laws of the land so you are able to play the citizenship card. And number two, keep the law of the Lord so you are able to play the conscience card. First of all, in chapter 22, in verses 24 through 29, keep the laws of the land so you are able to play the citizenship card. We left the Apostle Paul at the dramatic but sudden end of his sermon on the stairs. The angry mob that had tried to murder him flared up again at his mention of salvation being offered by God to the Gentiles. The Roman commander, who later in Acts will learn is named Claudius Lysias, brought Paul to the barracks and to safety. But Paul's safety was going to be short-lived. We pick up the story in verse 24. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. The scourging by Roman soldiers often killed you. It was the one that was done with a whip of several thongs that were embedded with bits of sharp bone or metal or glass. At the very least, it would cripple you or maim you for life. It was a very serious form of torture used for interrogation. I don't know about you, but I'd talk. Paul played the good citizenship card in verse 25. As they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Uh, Excuse me, is it uh, lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? I love, I I really do think he did it with a soft-spoken attitude. Now, Paul had played the good citizenship card before in Philippi after being unlawfully beaten and incarcerated there. Here he waited until he had been bound and they were just about to whip him. The picture I have, he may have been bound around a pole or he may have been bound and lifted up uh, off of the ground a little bit so that he was kind of hanging and swinging. And uh, uh, can you just see him? Just, you know, they're binding him and picking him up. And he's already been almost beaten to death by the mob. Now he's hanging there. And I believe just as the whip was getting, oh, excuse me, pardon me, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> just a quick question here. Is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen? Hmm? And it was just, it's hilarious, really. The waiting tells us that he was being led by the Lord to appeal to his rights as a Roman citizen only when it could help further the ministry of the gospel. 
His citizenship was always a tool he could use from time to time. Paul wasn't interested in his rights, only in his responsibilities as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the mention of his standing as a Roman struck fear into the hearts of the soldiers. Verse 26, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. They were already in trouble, serious trouble, for binding a Roman citizen, let alone attempting to scourge him. They'd taken him into protective custody. That was excusable. That was defensible. It was for his own good. But now they had bound him with the thought of scourging him, and they could be severely punished. You know, these always, every other day it seems like there's some crazy video showing cops or correctional officers in compromising situations, and the truth is they, they never show you the whole video and they don't tell you what's really going on. Uh, but occasionally, very rarely occasionally, there's use of excessive force and, and those individuals are punished for it. They get into a lot of trouble, a lot more trouble if you were a Roman uh, soldier and you did these things to a Roman citizen. They would be done to you uh, at the very least. And so this was serious city for these guys. And so in verse 27, then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yeah. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Nanny, nanny. (laughs) Why this exchange, really? Again, it shows that Paul only appealed to his citizenship in stages as directed by the Lord. Earlier in this same story, while being carried up the stairs leading to the barracks, he had told the commander that he was from Tarsus, but he made no mention of his Roman citizenship. Uh, it, It was just enough so that he could be allowed to speak to the Jews. He wasn't shouting on the stairs, I'm a full-fledged born Roman citizen and I demand my rights. Uh, Even when he was bound, he didn't say, I've got you guys now, wait until we get through with you, I'm gonna own you. Uh, I mean, you know, he didn't have any of this attitude. It wasn't about his rights at all, it was only about the gospel. Paul considered his rights under human law as a resource that he would use only when the Lord directed him. We talked about this at length next week, or last week, so I don't want to belabor it, but as a citizen of a country that uh, gives us tremendous rights, we have the right to not invoke our rights all the time. And as we'll see later, there are times in our lives when God wants us to think not in terms of our rights, but in terms of the wrongs that people are doing and how much they need Jesus. And, and so just bear that in mind. Paul was all about Jesus. He was all about the gospel, listening for the Holy Spirit, I, albeit I'm sure hoping that, Lord, can I tell him I'm a Roman citizen now? <laughs> you know, as the whip is coming out, you know? I mean, you know how Romans, so they probably had ca- a big case for it, you know, and brought it out and got it all shiny and stuff like that. And, and I mean, they took pleasure in their flagellum and uh, their beatings and stuff, you know? And, and, uh, and is, now, Lord, now? How about now? Okay, thank you. And, and, but it was always in the Lord's timing to accomplish a greater ministry than would have occurred had he just demanded his rights from the beginning. Verse 29, immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. The commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. 
The citizenship card trumped their attempts to interrogate Paul. He had played it brilliantly and with the Lord's perfect timing to give him an advantage. Though in custody, Paul is the one who's in control. Paul always thought of himself when he was a prisoner as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, he was bound. He could be beaten. Uh, he could be you know, sent to Rome as he will be. He was the prisoner but he remained in as much control of this situation as the Lord wanted him to be. Now let's talk about citizenship in a broader context. Do you remember getting a citizenship grade on your elementary school report card? Remember all those S's for satisfactory? I, the E always, you know, it was just, the excellent was just too much for me. You were graded under, as citizenship, as a citizen of that classroom, whether it's the fourth grade or the fifth grade or whatever, you were a citizen of that classroom. You're a citizen of your country, of course, end of a classroom, end of your company if you work for somebody, end of any place else you find yourself. You can see yourself as a citizen of that environment. As a Christian, you are to walk in the grace of God in all of those places and in every place. You're to be a good citizen. Keep the laws of the land. And those would include the rules of your company or the rules of that classroom. Then if it ever becomes necessary, you can play the grace card of citizenship and bring glory to the Lord. Very simply put, wherever we are, we represent Jesus Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Lord has sent us out into the world, into those classrooms and companies and into our country uh, to represent Christ. And when those opportunities come to share the Lord verbally, it helps, I believe, a great deal if you've been a really good student, a really good employee, a really good citizen, because it eliminates a first line of argument that, hey, I don't want to listen to you because you're a deadbeat. You get to work late, you leave work early, and you don't do any work in between. Why would I want to be a Christian? Uh, same thing can be said in all of these different areas. We want to be the best employee, the best student, the best citizen that we can be to take away that criticism. People are going to accuse you. Make sure it's a false accusation so that Paul could stand, not just to say, I am a citizen of Rome. That was important in his case. But to be able to say, hey, wait a minute. I'm the best student in this class. I'm the best employee you've got or I'm in the class of the best employees with the other Christians, I'm a great citizen of this great nation. And so you, you're not gonna be able to criticize me there. And I wanna tell you that the reason for that has nothing to do with the, the laws of the land or the rules of this company or keeping my job or getting a better grade. The reason is because I follow Jesus Christ. And it, I represent Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. He's seated in heaven. He's a great and mighty God, and he deserves nothing less than our best. And I want to tell you how much he loves you. And, and it's a, it can be a powerful thing. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. I think we will excel in our citizenship on earth in all of those venues when we remember we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. It puts my time on earth into the proper perspective. I'm not at school or at work just for myself. I'm there for the Lord as his representative. I'm to walk in his grace so others will see his love for me and, of course, for them. My life should be a display of the difference that grace makes. 
If I'm wronged, I may or may not appeal to my rights. They are a resource and not my first resort. My rights are not as important as Jesus Christ's death for the wrongs of those who may be mistreating me. And I want to seize that situation, grab that opportunity, not to defend myself, but to see if the Lord could use it in some way as a testimony and as a ministry. Number two, keep the law of the Lord so you are able to play the conscience card. Claudius Lysias was stymied. He still had a volatile situation on his hands. He still needed to get to the bottom of the riot involving Paul. And so in verse 30 we read, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why Paul was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. This was unofficial, but still a powerful meeting of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. Whether all 71 members were present or not, they had great power over Jewish affairs. Paul didn't want to be, or didn't wait, excuse me, to be interrogated. Though he was the one seemingly on trial, again, he set things in motion by making a powerful opening statement. Verse 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He boldly declared that his actions were approved by God. He had nothing to defend and nothing to fear. Not only is he saying, I haven't done anything wrong, that would be a powerful statement. He says, I've done everything right. I have, I, as far as God is concerned, I'm up there. I'm doing everything that he wants me to do. Verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, oh, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate on exactly what took place in this fiery exchange. Did Paul get angry and act uncharacteristically? Those who say yes, look at his further comments as an apology. Those who say no, look at his supposed outburst as a prophecy and his further comments as confirmation he was led to condemn the high priest. I don't know that we can say for sure. I'll say that at the outset. But I... I I'm always amazed at how quickly Bible commentators and Bible teachers want to demean the great Apostle Paul. Every chance they get in the book of Acts to accuse Paul of offering the wrong offering or being in the wrong place or going against the will of God or losing his temper, they can't wait to jump on that bandwagon. It's kind of a Paul bashing that goes on. I don't know, maybe it's because you know, it makes us feel more human to, to tear others down. Uh, I would just as soon give Paul the benefit of the doubt. Since you can't know one way or the other, then let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that he was prophesying. The truth is that Ananias was acting unlawfully by ordering Paul struck. Those who were charged with keeping the law of God, those who were judging Paul by the law, whether he was keeping the law or not, they began their session by breaking the law. The exchange was a powerful illustration of their corruption and his good conscience. He says, I have a good conscience. They punch him in the face. He says, well, there you go. I don't know, what more do I have to say? 
Thus, when Paul said he didn't know Ananias was the high priest, he might have meant that he wasn't acting as the high priest ought to. And then Paul's quote from Exodus establishes that he respected the office of the high priest, even though the man occupying it was evil. And the truth was, just a few years hence, Ananias would be assassinated by Jewish zealots who recognized what a corrupt man he was. And so let's keep it in that light. Paul is in command. He's in control of this situation. Even as people are punching him in the face, he is in control of the situation. Now, it's time to play yet another grace card. And so in verse 6, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. And so Paul played the Pharisee card. We know from reading the Gospels that the Jews were divided into two very distinct groups, Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees generally were materialistic in their approach to the scriptures and to life. The Pharisees generally were spiritual, although legalistic, in their approach to the scriptures and to life. Paul was a Pharisee according to his Jewish heritage. He was in the more spiritual party. His appeal would split the council along party affiliations and would prevent them from reaching any conclusions about him. Don't let it bother you. Paul could say, I am a Pharisee. He, he didn't say, I was a Pharisee until I became a Christian. He said quite emphatically, I am a Pharisee. Paul understood that Christianity was the fulfillment and the completion of all things Jewish. There's a whole nother study here that we don't have time for, but when Paul said at the beginning of this episode that he had a good conscience before God up to this time, he's talking about his whole life, not just talking about his life as a Christian. Paul could say that when he, while he was a Pharisee persecuting the church, he had a good conscience before God because at that time, before he was saved, he thought that he was really doing what God wanted him to do. He wasn't. He got saved, understood his error, understood the bigger picture that Jesus wasn't someone to be persecuted but someone to be worshipped because he was the promised Messiah and Paul went on in that new understanding. The Pharisees were right about most everything except that they externalized rather than internalized God's law and except that they rejected God's Savior. Now, those are big things to be wrong about, but... Um, they, they had a lot going for them. We have developed an understanding from Jesus' uh, you know, comments to the Pharisees in the Gospels about how really weird and legalistic and, and carnal they were. That's what they had become, but that was not the intent. And not all Pharisees were bad. There were those who were sympathetic to Jesus Christ, who were believers in Jesus Christ. And so we, we have a hard time understanding some of this because we don't think in terms of a Jew converting to Christ. Most of us are Gentiles and we don't have that mentality at all. We just assume that a Jew in the first century ought to just renounce everything Jewish and just be like us and start listening to rock music and you know, doing all the things that we do in our modern culture. And, and so don't think that Paul is weird. He says, hey, I am a Pharisee. I'm a completed Pharisee, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a sufficient Pharisee, I know the truth about God through Jesus Christ. 
In verse 7, and when he had said this, a dissension did arise between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisee party arose and protested, saying, well, we find nothing wrong with this guy, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And so they're arguing one with another, and the scribes, who were the lawyers, the doctors of the law, they said, look, um, you know, if, if that's what we're accusing him of, we can't find, we're not going to find anything wrong with him because we believe that there are angels. Uh, and when it says spirit, uh, or we believe in the spiritual world of angels, and when it says angel, it could be that they're referring to the soul of man that goes on and is resurrected because the Sadducees didn't really believe in that. And so it split them along these party lines. Now, why divide the council rather than preach a sermon? Well, first of all, we must conclude that Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit. And he did preach the gospel. His mention of the resurrection of the dead was rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The council knew what he meant, and that's evident by their mention of spirit or angel speaking to him. This is a reference to his testimony that on the road to Damascus, someone appeared to him and spoke to him. He said that someone was Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And so in their answer here, you understand that they understood he was making a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he is, in a very quick, powerful way, preaching the gospel to them by mentioning the resurrection. And by the way, this is helpful to me and hopefully to you. There are times we have an opening, perhaps, or an opportunity to maybe say something, but we are trained to think that you have to say a lot, that you have to give a full-blown testimony, your full-blown testimony starting from the womb and moving forward. It was dark in there, but I knew the light would come. You know, that, and, and, and uh, you know, we, we think in these terms or that we, we have to know everything there is to know about a certain topic or whatever. And Paul basically said, I'm being judged because of the resurrection of the dead. And, and that was enough to set things in motion. And so I want to clue us into these just short soundbite kind of testimonies that would be very powerful. Maybe you go to work tomorrow and, you know, people are hanging out in the break room or wherever they hang out when the boss isn't looking and, and uh, you know, the TV is on or the radio is on and, and they say something like, wow, what, what's up with uh, all the tragedies in the world? And you say, well, Jesus is coming back. He's going to take care of that. What? Did I hear you right? Yeah, and then maybe it opens the door, maybe it doesn't. Hey, what's going on with these school shootings? Isn't that crazy? Sinners need a savior. What are you talking about? I hope those people are comforted by Jesus. I hope the people who died are Christians and are in heaven. And so you don't have to say an awful lot to say an awful lot. And so just kind of let's readjust our thinking and just say, hey, yeah, that's true. I just, I just need to think of everything somebody says to me as a potential response. And a lot of times people are just, they're not, and I do it too. I do it more than you probably. You say things that are just, blah, 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 you know, just how's the weather? What about that? What about this? People don't even really want a response. And then when you zero in on it and say, well, it's because the Lord is coming back. Wow. How about those hurricanes? That's wild. 
yeah, you know, the Bible says that in the last days there'd be a lot of weird weather. Really? <laughs> and every now and then you're going you're gonna to reel somebody in. You're going to hook somebody. Give them enough line. You know, just a, you know, you're a fisherman. You just get, let them bite a little bit and reel them in. And so, so think about that. You can say a lot in just a few words. Now, when there arose, verse 10, a great dissension, the commander, fearing that uh, Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force among them and bring him into the barracks. Uh, this is a great scene. I mean, I, they must have been literally grabbing him and pulling him from side to side. Uh, and so if the commander was Jewish, he would have said, oy vey, or something like that, hit himself in the head. But he couldn't just throw up his hands and walk away. He was in charge of keeping the peace, even though this second strategy of his had failed. He went down and took Paul back into protective custody. Now, walking in the grace of God, Paul could declare that his biblically trained conscience was good before God. He wasn't hiding anything. There was no secret sin to be found out, no skeletons in his closet. If you've sinned or are in sin, confess it to the Lord, and he's faithful to forgive you your sin. A good conscience is itself a powerful prerequisite for sharing Jesus with others. You know, a lot of times I think we want to share something about the Lord, and there's that, that, you know, that argument from within that says, well, you're not good enough or you're, you know, who are you? You're a hypocrite. Just make sure you're not an active sin. I mean, if, you know, don't be living in an habitual sin. Don't have any unconfessed sin. Sure, we're not perfect and, and we're all falling short of the glory of God, uh, but that's different than actually living in sin, hiding sin. Uh, get right with God. Do it today. Do it right now. Quit listening to me and just confess your sin before the Lord. Get right with the Lord. It's what he died for, to set you free from those things that overcome you and overwhelm you. And, and, and then you have that clear conscience before the Lord. And, and it's a powerful thing, and it gives you a foundation to share from. Grace cards abound. You have a deck full of them. God can provide one in any and every situation you find yourself in. We've discussed citizenship and conscience. In Paul's case, he played a Pharisee card. But we could talk about dozens or hundreds of other things like mercy and forgiveness and long-suffering and patience and forbearance and kindness and gentleness, all of these attributes of the Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit, all these different things could be played by you in a certain situation so that you take control of that situation for Jesus Christ. Maybe it turns into a testimony, maybe not, but it stymies what's going on, it stops it in its tracks and it adds that supernatural element that just comes out of nowhere and knocks people down. It's a fantastic thing, really, when we think that way. I remember years ago, just being chewed out by my boss. I, I was working for the title company and I, it's a long story, you know, there's a disagreement between myself and my uh, boss, he was the branch manager, and he was livid, and he took me into his office, uh, which would be like going into that little, and you know, the whole office, and he was mad, and big guy, big temper, beating his desk, pounding his desk, cussing at me. At one point, he got up, and I thought, I'm a dead man. You know, did I learn enough karate at the YMCA, you know? <laughs> and. Uh, he got up and he started, he, literally he started pounding the walls and he was under a lot of pressure. Our company was going down the tubes. We were being investigated by the Department of Justice. 
Uh, I mean, it was bad for him and his career, and I was like, okay, I'll just get another job, I guess, once you're all in jail. But, uh, you know, so, uh, but, you know, I just, I was pretty happy, I'd, and, and it, I had made a decision that he didn't like and, and didn't run it by him, and I mean, he was literally cussing me out, and I knew everybody else was hearing it because I know, you know, people hear things like that when you're going, you, you know, I mean, it was just, just it was bad. And so I sat there and I, I literally, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm just, you know, and finally, I felt like the Lord just told me to sit there and do nothing. And I did with that weird face I get, you know. And uh, finally, he exhausted himself. He literally exhausted himself. And he looked at me, kind of spitting at me, and he said, what do you have to say for yourself? And, and so the Lord had me play uh, the humility card and the soft answer card. And I looked at him, I said, well, John, apparently I've made completely wrong decision. I'm sorry, and I won't ever do it again. He looked at me, his eyes got fire red, and he just said, get out of here. I said, all right. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and I, I had to bite my lip while I was going down the hall, because as soon as the door opened, everybody went back to, you know, and I wanted to laugh so hard, but I also knew I was still in physical danger, and uh, I didn't, but that's, you know, I, I really, that's what we're talking about this morning. God took that situation, and, and it wasn't that I was real spiritual. In fact, I had made a, a bonehead mistake as far as my boss was concerned, but the Lord was able to say, why don't you just play the, the humility card? Why demand your rights as an employee under the, you can't cuss at me. Uh, hey, my family has been involved with this company longer than yours. My, my mother-in-law was alive at the time, and she was like a corporate officer. I knew the president personally. I mean, you know, I mean, this was, this was serious stuff. Why not just be a Christian in that situation and let the Lord work it out? That's, that's what Paul did. That's what the apostle Paul did. And that's all he did. God used him in great ways. I mean, you know, we're, you and I, we're never going to be the Apostle Paul, but that's okay. I don't want to be strung up and flagellized or whatever they would call it, you know, with the flagell. And I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. God just says, well, here's a little small situation. It's in your home. It's in your church. It's at work. It's at school. Why don't you play one of the cards that I've dealt you? Ask for forgiveness, show mercy, be long-suffering, remain calm, give a soft answer. Bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in this situation. Take control of the situation, not with the law, but with the perfect law of liberty, the law of love. Nothing can beat that. Not everybody's going to get saved. I mean, you know, don't go into it thinking that that's going to melt everybody's heart and they're going to kneel down in front of you and say, well, what must I do to be saved? But it injects Jesus Christ into that situation. It puts him on the cross in front of them saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because those people, they don't know what they're doing. This Roman commander, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't even know what was going on with Paul. And, 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 and it brought the cross to him. It, it brings the cross to the Sanhedrin. We don't read of anybody getting saved through this, but we don't have to. Jesus says, that's my business. Your business is to just give the testimony. Your business is to just be the witness. And this is the way I'm training you to witness. 
I've given you these attributes and these qualities. They're yours to use. Just ask me when to pull them out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for grace, your unmerited favor, which saves us and then sustains us. We want to find it sufficient in every situation. And I pray, Lord, that we would look at life completely differently after today, having seen the way Paul the Apostle approached life as an opportunity, not just to give a verbal testimony, but to, to play a grace card in each situation so that Jesus Christ is glorified, so that he is magnified, so that he is lifted up. Pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, if there are any of us that don't have a clear conscience this morning because we're hiding some sin, living in sin, there's something that we need to confess, that we'd confess it knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from any unrighteousness and that we would leave this place with a clear conscience, able to do the things that we're talking about this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The guys are here to pray with you. You know, I struck a first service at the end of the service. You know, a lot of times you think, well, you know, the guys are here to pray. If I had some really overwhelming issue in my life, some if I just received a diagnosis or something, yeah, I'd go forward and have uh, one of the deacons pray for me. Um, maybe you just need to pray with somebody, and, and, you know, about something small in your life. What a blessed opportunity. And so don't, you know, arrange your thinking so that you say, hey, I want to take advantage of every spiritual resource that's available to me when I come to church on Sunday morning. If there's somebody who said, I'll pray for you, then I want to be there and have them pray for me. Cafe is open. Uh, it's open so that we. All of this, I'll give you a secret. You know, it's kind of it's part of my infomercial, but I'll give it to you for free. Uh, no, the secret is we just want you to stay here for a while. We want you to stay here, so we've got the cafe and all, so that you'll stay here. Because if you're here, chances are you're going to meet somebody. You're going to have to. You're going to you know bump into somebody in line or see somebody. You say, hey, who are, I've never seen you before. Who are you? My name's Gene. What's your name? And you know, some of those are life-changing uh, encounters. Some of those people could become your best friend. Maybe not, you know, but uh, it's an important thing to have fellowship. Bookstore, the same thing. We don't make money in the bookstore. We lose money, probably. Uh, but it's there as a resource and a place to, to fellowship as well. So hang around for a while. At least meet one person that you've never met before. It doesn't have to be a long drug-out thing. Uh, just meet somebody and encourage them in the Lord. May God bless you. May God keep you. It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.